0: Welcome to Podcast One. We hope you'll support our sponsors who bring you these podcasts absolutely free and with limited interruptions. And of course, we appreciate you listening to this show, which will get started in just a second. Since 1983, Eddie Trunk has been the voice for fans of rock, hard rock, and heavy metal. Podcast up and running for a Thursday, the week of September fourth. This, of course, would be the seventh if you're listening on post day, September seventh, twenty seventeen. The date football season kicks off, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, the first real football game tonight. If you are a fellow NFL fan, it's like a national holiday. My Giants start on Sunday in Dallas. I will be there for the game. Cannot wait. My biggest sports rivalry, my loved Giants against the hated Cowboys. Cannot wait and very much looking forward to the season, although my schedule is such that I'm not sure how much football I'll actually be able to be watching. I might be working the DVR quite a bit. I've got stuff going on like crazy all over the place as far as travel and events and I can't even begin to tell you between radio and TV and all this stuff, but I am not complaining for a moment. Lucky and grateful to have the opportunities I do and lucky and grateful to have all the great support from you guys that listen to this podcast or maybe listen to my radio show on Sirius XM, which is live Monday through Friday from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time on Sirius XM channel 106 volume. Many of the interviews, including the one you're about to hear on this week's podcast, come from that radio show. Appreciate all the support. Thanks for listening on SiriusXM. Thanks for listening to The Terrestrial Show. And thanks, of course, for listening here each and every week to the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Don't forget, by the way, the volume show on 106 plays every night, 9 to 11 p.m. Eastern. So plenty of ways to catch that show each and every week. the uh, The summer... Pretty much done. That's amazing, huh? Where the hell did it go? (laughs) The unofficial end of summer, of course, this past weekend for Labor Day weekend. Hope you guys enjoyed some time off. I went to my favorite city, Vegas, spent a few days there, my usual spots. I got a chance to hang with a bunch of great friends and um, had a blast as usual. Hard not to have a blast in Vegas. I find myself more and more when I go to Vegas, though, going to the local spots, getting away from the strip, away from all the craziness, and man, it got crazy there on that holiday weekend, as you would imagine. Caught up with a lot of friends, had a great time, came back, and at the time you are hearing this broadcast, if you are listening on post day, I am in Los Angeles unexpectedly, like I said, I am literally all over the map on any given day, and I'm in L.A. doing a radio special with Stone Temple Pilots for the 25th anniversary of their debut album. That'll air in the coming weeks on my volume show as part of the SiriusXM town hall. From there, I go over to Dallas for the game. Next weekend, I'm in Irisburg, Vermont. Don't miss it, Shrindom, Shriners Benefit, and that includes Vince Neil Slaughter. Firehouse, Lita Ford, and many more. Hope to see you there for that. Also, we've got uh, the IDL Ballroom on October 22nd in Tulsa with Warrant and Firehouse performing. Rock and Skull, uh, days two and three, I'll be at October 28th and 29th. New venue, new location Diesel Dicks, Tremont, Illinois. ParFest coming up November 11th, Brookshire, Texas. Everything on the homepage of eddytrunk.com if you're looking for further info and tickets. And some stuff in the New York City area as well, uh, including Doro coming to BB Kings. And that is happening this coming Sunday night if you're in the New York City area. So much to talk about, much to do, lots going on. Twitter at eddytrunk up to the second news and info at eddytrunk on Instagram. And also on Facebook as well. Eddytrunk.com is the official website. And on there, you can see all of the events that I just told you about music news updated daily. Email me through the site and a whole lot more books and signed merch and all sorts of great stuff. Check it out all on my website, eddytrunk.com. Also, don't forget, I have my own storefronts on Amazon. Be sure when doing any shopping on Amazon, you start at amazon.com slash shop slash Eddie Trunk. Greatly appreciate you doing that. When you go to that front page, you will see some items that I hand selected to include in my store. Take a look at them if you'd like or go anywhere you want from there on Amazon. Again, amazon.com slash shop slash Eddie Trunk. Appreciate you starting all your Amazon shopping there and have a look at some of the items handpicked on the site. All right, so today on the Eddie Trunk podcast, we have for you an interview with a guy that uh, joined me a couple months ago last on this podcast and on my radio show, the great legendary Alice Cooper. And I was saying this on my radio show the other day, you know, normally it would be kind of redundant to have a radio interview with Alice Cooper so close after I had already done one. But Alice Cooper has got so many tremendous stories and is such a great storyteller that you could literally do five shows with the guy in a week and it not be boring or redundant. And I feel very strongly about that. The guy really is so much fun to talk to and just absolutely, uh, absolutely awesome guy. And needless to say, a legend. So, really, really enjoyed talking to Alice Cooper in what you're about to hear, which is a Sirius XM town hall. And these town halls are a lot of fun because they're done in front of a live studio audience. So, we include a little bit of the studio audience, we include, uh, of course, my questions and discussion, and a lot of great insights from the artist that you will hear. So Alice came by about two weeks ago, and we did this in front of an audience of about 50 people at the Sirius XM headquarters in New York. I also did one a couple days later with Deep Purple, who Alice is on tour with. I'll bring you that one next week. And we cover all sorts of stuff, including the new Alice Cooper album, which is out now called Paranormal. There's a great story in here from Alice about uh, him stabbing himself with his sword. Uh, There's just a wealth of great entertaining stuff in here that you will no doubt enjoy. So let's get to it. Without further ado, Alice Cooper in front of a live studio audience for my SiriusXM town hall with him. You will no doubt enjoy this hearing from a legend with a plethora of great stories. Settle in. We'll get into that right after this on the Eddie Trunk Podcast. The Eddie Trunk Podcast. Hey, so are you hiring? And if so, do you know where to post your job to find the best candidates? Well with ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to a hundred plus job sites. Ready for this? With just one click. Then their powerful technology efficiently matches the right people to your job. And that's what you want, right? The right people. That's why ZipRecruiter is different. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you, it finds them. In fact, 80% of employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter. Get a quality candidate through the site within one day. No juggling emails or calls to your office. Simply screen, rate, and manage candidates all in one place with ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use dashboard. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. And right now, my listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash trunk, T-R-U-N-K. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash trunk. One more time, try it for free. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash trunk.
1: One dot com. This is the Eddie Trunk podcast.
0: Welcome back to the Eddie Trunk podcast this week featuring my recent Sirius XM town hall with the legendary Alice Cooper. Again, this is done with a live studio audience. We'll be taking some questions from that audience a little bit later on. But let's turn it over and take you back a couple of weeks ago to the Sirius XM, as they call it, Fishbowl Studio in New York City, joined by the the great Alice Cooper here on the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Enjoy, everybody. Good to see you, Alice. How's things? Good, good. Yeah? Getting skinny. No, man. I'm just uh, stressed.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I have no stress at all.
0: Uh, You don't? You don't? No. You're always like, I want to be like this. I want to be like... i'm easy look look at him i cut my head
1: off every night makes you know makes a big difference you know my wife kills me on stage i kill her that's how we get along
0: were you ever a high stress guy or were you always sort of carefree like i
1: was i was never stressed i mean you know i'm in the business of rock and roll which is fun you know so i mean what's there to stress about honestly
0: back in your drinking days was there stress even less stress, really, in your drinking days. Yes, because <laughs> you're at
1: that point going, "Where am I?" <laughs> I was like Jack Sparrow all the time. Excuse me. <laughs> I told you the story about Keith Keith Richards, right? Keith Richards. We we toured with the Stones for a while, and um, Keith Richards comes up to you, "Never call me Alice."
0: Wait, take a second to to suck that. in we toured with the Stones. <laughs> Just throw that out there, but and he would call me Vinny.
1: Is it Vinny? 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 He says, how long have you been sober? How long has it been since you've had a drink? And I said, it was about 25 years. He said, begs the question, why?
0: And he, he stumbled
1: <laughs> off, and I went, ladies and gentlemen, Jack Sparrow. Because it was exactly where Johnny got Jack Sparrow. It was, it, it was this, you know, yeah, that <laughs> thing like that, you know.
0: <laughs> how long ago was that?
1: Oh, it was, uh, it was uh, probably about 15 years ago. We wow. did three or four shows with him. It was really fun. How, yeah, ma- how about this? How about this? The Stones, Alice Cooper, Kanye West. What a weird group that was. I mean, it was a weird, weird show. Yeah.
0: What uh, What was, the, in all your decades of playing live, what was one of the, like, weirder bands you ever did a tour with or shared a bill? We should mention you're currently on tour with Deep Purple. Deep
1: Purple, which is, that's a natural. Yes. You know, that's and Roger
0: Glover's on your record, which we'll talk about in a second. Yeah.
1: Well, you know, here's the weirdest thing. Back in the Fillmore days... There was no such thing as putting you in a, you know, bands alike. The first time we did the Fillmore, I think it was Ike and Tina Turner, Alice Cooper, Nitty Gritty Dirt Band, and Melanie. It's Absolutely nothing to do with each other (laughs) at at all, you know. And that's what he used to like to do. He'd put the doors on with the cow sills, you know. (laughs) And... That's the way they used to put the, the shows together at the Fillmore. I thought that was kind of cool to do yeah. it that way. Now, you know, you'll get Slayer and all these bands that are all alike. But, I mean, why not mix it up like that? I like that.
0: Yeah, and a lot of the European festivals tend to pull that off a little bit better than they do here in America. Yeah, they do. Over That's there true. It's not quite that diverse. I don't know if you're going to see Nitty Gritty Dirt Band on with you, but, you know, you never know <laughs> that over That was there. normal
1: back then. We just went, well, okay, you know, whoever who's ever here? And, and you were friends with all of them. Yeah. It was like it was still a fraternity. Yeah. You know, you were still playing the same gigs and doing the same hotels and the same thing. So you felt like you were kind of in the same business, you know.
0: Yeah. You know, going back second to second to, to your drinking days, how many years now have you been sober?
1: 37. 37. 37 years. Mark, congratulations. Thank That's you. amazing. Thank you. And I think, I, yeah.
0: I, I wouldn't be here if I hadn't stopped.
1: I would have joined the other Hollywood vampires that are in the grave, you know.
0: Yeah, well, you know, and I think today, if I'm not mistaken, today is the 35th anniversary of, is it from the inside? I don't know if you realize Wow, I didn't know that. But I think today is.
1: Wow, that's odd. That's really weird.
0: A time that you were probably anything but. Well, no, it
1: was right after I got out of the hospital, and I wrote an album about being in the hospital with my best friend, with Bernie Toppin. Bernie was my best friend, and both being lyricists, I, the hospital I was in, I was the only one in there for alcohol. Everybody else was in there for killing their uncle or, <laughs> you know, and I didn't realize that it was like this really rich hospital. And I started talking to people, you know, I said, so, uh, what was your substance? Yeah, well, "No Substance, you know, I found out that this guy, you know, had chopped up his uncle and put him in a trunk and sent him. And instead of going to jail, they went to this mental hospital, you know? So I went, this is like, you uh, a virtual treasure of characters to work with. I, I had Jack Knife Johnny, who was like a Vietnam vet. Uh, I had Millie and Billy. These are real people. Real, real people. Yeah. And I just kept telling Bernie these characters, and we just started writing, and it ended up being an album.
0: When you were in there, were there people that came up and was like, holy shit, it's Alice Cooper? Or were you fairly kind of low-key and anonymous? Nobody had
1: any idea who I was. No idea? No. Th- these people, it was like being in a Kurt Vonnegut novel. You know, one lady would sit there. She looked exactly like Lily Tomlin, you know, that, and playing the really, and laughing. And she had her purse like this, and she had coffee and Coca-Cola, and her her lawyer would come every day and spend eight hours with her. She owned Alcoa, I think, or something. Oh, wow. And she was in there. She said, I'll be getting out of here in a week or so. Of course, she was in there the whole time, you know. No, no telling what she was in there for. <laughs> but the very last day I had a guy named Joe that was about 85 years old and we're both in our robes and I'm getting out the next day and Joe's sitting there, you know, and he says, Alice, he says, tomorrow you're going home. He says, and you're going to get your career back and you're going to get your wife and your kids back and you're going to have a great life. You know, And I went, well, thanks, Joe. And he says, "And someday I'm going to get out of here." And I said, oh, yeah. "He said, when I do, I'm going to kill you." <laughs> and I went, "Okay, Joe. Hopefully, you don't get out of here." <laughs> but I mean, he was serious. I think.
0: <laughs> but it was just so like, "Okay." Do you know what happened to Joe?
1: No, oh, he probably died in there. You know, I mean, he was.
0: I if I were you for, but... at your shows, I'd have a big picture of Joe <laughs> anybody see at this the guy? box office <laughs> You yeah. see this guy coming yeah. in, no ticket, no backstage. I don't know him <laughs>
1: yeah no i mean it was a really odd place to be, but you know what I got sober and i was and that was it
0: and I would imagine like you said it's probably, it was probably the great source of inspiration for writing
1: oh for for a writer it's it's, it's heaven yeah. i mean honestly, there was just i couldn't wait to start writing about these these people in there you know it was it was really good.
0: Is it still, uh, after over more than 30, nearly 40 years of being sober, are there still challenges? Because you tore so much, that's where a lot of potholes are for a lot of artists. You ever? Is it easy for you now? Well, or? you know,
1: I am Christian, right? So uh, it, I'm a healed alcoholic, not a, not a cured one. And the, the difference is, is I came out of the hospital and waited for the craving. You know, waiting. Because, I mean, I was a pure... Al- the doctor said, you, you are classic alcoholic. And I went, okay. And they said, when you get out of here, you're going to have to go to AA. You're going to have to go have a sponsor. And I went, okay. The craving never came for 37 years, never came. And I told the doctors, and they said, that's impossible. And I said, well, it's possible. I said, I think my, my family prayed it out of me. You know, and uh, it was a pure miracle. I mean, it was, it was, it was, even they said it's a miracle that you're not that you're not cheating and hiding bottles around the house. Yeah, and I said that's gone; it's yeah. just totally gone.
0: Especially in this environment, being yeah. a rock guy. Oh no! Where- even in the
1: worst, most stressful conditions, you're going to go. You're going to host the American Music Awards with Diana Ross. Now, normally that would, you know, like that. And I was just, eh, so what? Yeah. You know, just do it.
0: Did your love of golf coincide with you getting sober?
1: When I quit drinking, I started playing golf, which most people start playing golf and start drinking because (laughs) it does that to you. It was for me, I had to find an addiction that wasn't going to kill me. And um, every other addiction I had was killing me. Uh, So I went out and I was a good baseball player. So I went out and I hit one golf ball and it was like right down the middle with a little draw on it. And I went, Oh, that felt good. And I realized I was addicted right then. I play six days a week I still. Yeah. After 37 years, I play every day.
0: Yeah. That, even, uh, even outside of oh, the country, you played, play? Play oh, everywhere. Really?
1: That we just, we just played in a, the northernmost golf course in the world in Norway, in the Arctic Circle. It was basically a field with a stick in it, you know. <laughs> but we played the course. Uh, and then we played the greatest courses in the world. So, I mean, you know, we play every day. It's a rock and roll sport now.
0: I've never golfed. And people who do it tell me, they'll look, you don't want to get started in it. But
1: it's addictive. Anybody that I know that was an addict or was an alcoholic that are now sober and play golf are addicted to it. Because it's a great addiction. Yeah. You know, um, Bob Dylan plays golf. Iggy Pop plays golf. Lou Reed played golf. I (laughs) I lived with Lou Reed at the Chelsea Hotel in the worst of times. And I see him 20 years later and he says, Alice, how you doing? Sit down. I said, Hey Lou, how are you doing? He said, I'm hitting the ball to the right. He said, how do I get from, and I'm going, <laughs> you play golf? And he goes, well, yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> it's, it's the weirdest thing. If you would have seen Lou Reed and I 20 years before, you would have said breathing would be a good thing, yes, you right. know, let alone playing golf.
0: Who's the best uh, musician you've ever played golf with? A there.
1: lot of Vince Gill is awfully good. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dweezil Zappa can play, mm. very odd, but he plays. Uh, Kenny G's a good player. Okay, the drummer for No Doubt, Adrian, really great player. Yeah, you know. So I mean, there, there's some good players out there. Usually, guys that were good athletes before they were rock stars. You know, uh, ended up being the better players.
0: So I've talked to you about this in the past, and uh, and again, we're going to get to your new album in a second, Paranormal, but. Uh, it, it amazes me because I have seen you play a lot recently and so many times I have conversations with my audience and they'll talk about artists that they have seen that started in the seventies in your case, the early seventies uh, and they'll say, Oh man, they just don't get it done anymore. They're not what they used to be. It's not the same. The guy doesn't sound the same. He doesn't move the same. He doesn't look the same. Never ever in my nearly 35 years on radio, have I ever taken a call from a listener about having seen you. And uh, that's an amazing thing, especially when we touched on what we just did about you, are amazed you're still alive. If you hadn't, the yeah. light hadn't come on, what, what do you attribute that to? And, and I know you've said this to me in the past, but for this audience, I mean, you're on tour with the band right now and deep purple that depending upon who you ask in the band may or may not be on a farewell tour. You 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 have no plan to stop anytime no, soon. Not you feel bit. great, and you you. I'll be
1: seventy next year, and I've never felt better in my life. I mean, I get up and I'll do five shows a week, ninety minutes, and my show is a sprint. It's twenty eight songs. There's it's one solid ballad two hours. in the whole yeah. show, and the rest of it is at full blast. I have probably got the best touring band out there right now, and uh, it's not just getting up there and singing. You're all over that stage. I mean, you know, there's, there's. I, I tell the, the guys in the band when they get in the band, I say, I can guarantee you three things: you're going to get paid, you're going to see the world, you're going to get stitches. <laughs> because if you get too close to me on stage, Alice has got knives—real knives, real, knives, real swords—and everybody on that stage has at least had two or three stitches. Yeah. <laughs> Where I'm doing the thing like this, and I'm Errol Flynn, you know, and sh- ooh, sorry, <laughs> like this. And, oh yeah, I got my stitches yesterday. You know, but I mean, honestly, I've never lost the love of the of, if I thought I was phoning it in, I would quit immediately. Yeah. You know, if I thought the audience wasn't getting the Alice Cooper show and Alice at his best. I would absolutely quit.
0: And in a lot of ways, what they're getting now is better than maybe what it was back in the day. Because
1: I, I think it's much better now. Yeah, no disrespect
0: yeah. to those bands, but you personally, you, you're, you're a changed guy in the last 30, 35 years. And you're, I mean, your performance and what you're delivering. I just saw you in Tulsa not very long ago yep. when you joined me for my show afterwards. And the band and, and you opened with Brutal Planet and yeah. then go right in. I mean, it was just... It was unbelievable. Yeah. You, you never, there's nobody, there's two things I always say. You got a guy like Lemmy who drank his entire life, but nobody ever actually saw Lemmy drunk. No. And right. nobody has ever went to see Alice Cooper and said, oh, he's lost a step or he's <laughs> not good. And, and that's an amazing thing. It really yeah. is. And it's, a,
1: I don't I, do anything. You know, I was a distance runner when I was a kid. I was a, mi- a miler and a two miler. And so I kind of kept that body, and I kept that—I that, would never gained any weight. I think I've weighed the same for 50 years now. Um, so there's no problem there. I think it was the fact that I didn't smoke. I didn't smoke cigarettes ever, and I quit drinking 37 years ago. And I think that has a lot to do—I know some guys like Steven and Ozzy and guys like that have a hard time doing three or four shows a week because of just— right just lung power after a while, you know, it does w- come down on you. Uh, Steven still does a great show out there. So does Ozzy. But the fact that I can go, I could do 10 shows in a row and that's Don't the tell difference that, but
0: you know, <laughs> Steven wants three to four days off between shows. Yeah, a few
1: days off. Just, you're, just you're, you're,
0: going, you're doing back to back. So we
1: do, we're doing over 120 shows this year on the, in this tour. And it never bothers me. If we had to do five in a row, that'd be no problem with me.
0: Shep, if you're listening in Hawaii, Alice wants to work more, it sounds
1: like. Like I said, I only like doing three shows. <laughs> yeah. and, no, I mean, it's, it's the, the very idea that I get to play a character that I'm nothing like. I get to play this villain yeah. that's so much fun to play. Yeah, It's like being Alan Rickman, yeah. you know. Uh, I can do an, an, an imitation of Alan Rickman in one word. Firm. Is that Alan Rickman? (laughs) Firm. (laughs) But he was such a great arrogant you know kind yeah. of like condescending character and i always thought that's a great character to play as a rock guy yeah, you know?
0: absolutely all right we got to hit a break uh we're going to come back i want to talk about your new album which is out now called paranormal alice is currently out on tour uh with deep purple as i mentioned and also we should touch a little bit on the hollywood vampires and yeah. what the future is for that band and then we'll uh in our final segment some we got a great audience here, some questions from the audience. Thank you to everybody listening. Thank you to everybody here in the audience. We'll come back. We'll talk some more about what Alice has going now with this great new record, which has just come out, and we'll finish up taking some questions from the uh, nice folks sitting right in front of us. This is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Let me tell you guys about Bluehost. Bluehost is a top-rated website provider powering over 2 million websites. Whether you're a blogger or a small business owner, Bluehost has everything you need to build the website you've always wanted. And who doesn't want or need a website today? Bluehost is the best tool to build, host, and manage your personal or small business website. Bluehost gives you the freedom to design your website your way, Without being limited to templates, Bluehost makes hosting your website stress-free so you can get back to what matters most. Simple enough for beginners or powerful enough for even the most advanced users. Ultimate flexibility and control. You definitely want that. Fully customizable templates and third-party app support. True reliability. 99.9% uptime guarantee and automated updates. Maximum security, too, including malware monitoring and protection and automatic secure WordPress installs. 24-7 tech support. Also, online resources and expert services to help you succeed and save time. Bluehost is the top recommended WordPress host on WordPress.org since 2005. And listen to this, Eddie Trunk listeners, you save 50%. That's 5-0 when you sign up at Bluehost.com slash Eddie Trunk. Once again, Bluehost.com slash Eddie Trunk. 50% off. Great, great way to get your own website. Check it out. Bluehost.com slash Eddie Trunk. Hi, I'm Christine Hassler, and for over 12 years I've been passionate about helping people get out of suffering and over challenges so they can live a life they love. I'm a master life coach, best-selling author of Expectation Hangover, and host of the Over It and On With It podcast, where you get to listen in on unedited coaching sessions with people just like you. Whatever it is you're dealing with or want to learn about, we've covered it on the show. If you love personal growth and want tools to be more fulfilled in your own life, then be sure to listen. You'll be surprised on how relatable each call is. It's kind of like free therapy. Coaching episodes, really release each Wednesday, and on Saturdays, I release A Coach's Corner, where I either answer listener emails, teach a tool, or talk to amazing thought leaders and experts like Aubrey Marcus, Arianna Huffington, Danielle Laporte, and many more. And don't forget to subscribe at PodcastOne.com, the Podcast One app, and at Apple Podcasts.
1: This is the Eddie Trunk Podcast.
0: Eddie Trunk here, and this is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. More now with Alice Cooper, including picking it up with some questions from my live audience during this interview on a SiriusXM town hall. What
1: stunt did you do during one of your shows that still haunts you today? Okay, I at one point, it was unintentional. When you're doing a show like mine, there are a lot of spinal tap moments that you're not expecting to happen. <laughs> Everything's working perfectly. I have a sword that I use on stages. is is actually belonged to Errol Flynn. It was one one of his dueling swords, and you know, either Captain Blood or one of those movies. I'm pretty good with it. I look pretty good up there like that, and I'm going to stick it in the stage, and I stick it through my leg, (laughs) right through my leg. And when you have that much adrenaline on stage, it hurts, but it doesn't hurt that much. And I let it go, and it's. Oof. and it's spurting like this now the audience thinks it's a trick because it's a good illusion the band knows it's not a trick and they're going <laughs> you know they're they're you know there's little pile of blood everywhere and you know at the time i'm going well it's in there it, the audience is there leave it in for a while you know and then finally i take it and i pull it out and stick it, in it and i feel nothing you know i'm great and at the end of the show i'm ah because it went right through a muscle you know and they said well you got to get a tetanus shot and i went Psh. i take a bottle of whiskey and just poured it on there because that's what james bond would do and you know and wrapped it up and it just i went i said i don't know how to see how i can do tomorrow night's show honestly i mean this thing was like aching like crazy on stage the next night boom gone nothing wow. when that adrenaline hits the stage and you're in costume and the band is playing you don't feel it you don't feel it at all If you, you probably do but you're ignoring it you know and right after the show it's oh. but it was a great illusion I mean, I mean it looked like a great <laughs> illusion but this <laughs> and it wasn't supposed to happen and they were saying well if we should do that every night I went
0: <laughs> I don't think so Was that before or after you realized chickens didn't fly? Yeah, chickens don't fly (laughs) as much as they plummet. (laughs) Red Beach once told me a story when he was in your band about the snake and the snake taking a crap on stage all over his pedal board and the smell being so bad he literally almost vomited during the show.
1: to, To make it even more picturesque, it's at the House of Blues. Kiss came to see us that night. The Sex Pistols came to see us that night. And I got this snake up there. And normally, the snake does what it's supposed to do. And the people are laughing at the wrong place. And I went, what are they... And the snake is just going. Piles of this black stuff. And there's still little bones from the rats that they ate. And it smells so bad that you're... You know. Now, it's it's the... Carnival tour, the circus tour that we were doing. So all the roadies are in clown outfits, like it, you know. And they come out, and they're wiping it up, and they're and they're throwing up. Now I got throwing up clowns, and I've got snake crap everywhere, and I'm holding, and I'm covered in it. Oh. And Johnny Rotten comes in after. He's greatest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> it's the most. And I, I told him, you know, I said, well, I know just where to touch the snake to make him go. You know? you know, like I did that on purpose. You know, this is the greatest show I've ever seen. It's the most amazing thing. I said, the hard thing is doing it every night like that.
0: Yeah. Let's get one from the, uh, the folks watching on Facebook Live. This is Jim Ward, and I'll uh, let you know what Jim had to ask. He said, I've read Alice was friends with Salvador Dali. Did he ever receive a painting, and what was your relationship?
1: Uh, if Salvador Dali came to the show And he says, of course, everything was about Salvador Dali. The world was Salvador Dali to him. It is surrealism. He says, it is my painting come to life. It is Because I had crutches, you know, and all that stuff. And I was a big Salvador Dali fan, the whole band was. So that stuff did seep into the show. And, you know, so to him, it was surrealism. To Groucho, it was vaudeville. To, you know, anybody that saw it just put their own values on it. So he says, I'm going to do a project, and I want Alice to be the center of it. And it was a um, moving hologram. It was the first hologram where the actual hologram moved. So it spent a week doing this this uh, project with him. He would speak one word in French, one word in English, one word in Spanish, one word in Italian. So you only got one word <laughs> every five, and you're sitting there trying to understand him. And he speaks like his paintings. It's, it's, everything's surrealism to him. So after 5 days of this you know the press conference comes and they said what was it like working with Dali and I said I have no idea <laughs> I said you know I said I, I, you know it was I never understood a word he said and Dali says perfect he says the perfect form of communication is chaos and confusion and I went you speak English <laughs> and he goes of course I speak English you know? For five days, he didn't speak English to me, and I'm trying to figure out what he wants me to do in this whole thing. Could have spoken English, but he didn't. (laughs) So, I mean, he was the most bizarre character I had ever met in my life. There's about ten stories about Dali that are so crazy that they don't sound like they could be real, and they're real.
0: Where's uh, Larry Siegel? Right here. Hey, Larry, go ahead. You're up next. Hey. Oh yeah. Have you ever thought about creating a TV series or movie based on Stephen character?
1: Well, the Stephen character, everybody, you know, wants to know what that character is. And, you know, um, Kurt Vonnegut had a character named Kilgore Trout that ran through all of his books. And I kind of wanted a character that ran through all the albums named Stephen. And I realized after a while that Stephen is the like the little seven-year-old boy that lives in all of us, you know, that we like to let out every once in a while. He's that, He's always in wonder of everything. But he's a little seven-year-old boy that, you know, why do we dress the way we do? When you were seven, you dressed just like that. He had shorts on, a shirt, and a little, and little sandals. Most guys dress like they did when they were little kids. And that's that Steven character trying to get out. So I said, you never want to lose him. You know, you why do we go to scary movies? You know, because it's that seven-year-old kid wanting to go see a scary movie. Why do we go to amusement parks? Why do we do all that? We're just
0: big kids. Right.
1: And so that character runs through all of my all of my
0: albums. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Uh, where's Renee Vincent? Hey Renee.
1: What was going through your mind when you came up with your theatrical stage act and how did you come up with the dynamics for it? Rock and roll was full of rock and roll heroes. The Beatles, the Stones, all heroes. There were no villains. We had a ton of Peter Pans and no Captain Hook. And I went, I will gladly be Captain Hook. I will gladly be Moriarty. I I would love to be the villain. In order to be that villain, not only did you have to have a show that will support that villain, in other words, you had to do something other than what all these other bands were doing, and that meant make the lyrics come to life. If you were going to say, welcome to my nightmare, don't just say it, do it. Show them the nightmare. Give them the nightmare. Nobody had ever done that. So it took a lot of time. It took a lot of rehearsal. It took a lot of money. But to produce that, then you can have your villain. Then your villain can walk out and look at the audience and go, this, this is my world here. You know, Welcome to my world. Well, it worked. The audience loved it. It would not have worked if you didn't have the hit singles. Uh, if you just had the albums it would have been a puppet show mm-hmm. but we if we did a rehearsal 9 hours 8 hours was on the music and 1 hour on the theatrics because you, the theatrics came easily
0: do you think you would have do you think that you would have had do you think the songs that were hits would have been hits without the theatrics
1: they were they actually were hits without the theatrics cuz nobody had the general public had never seen Alice Cooper when 18 came out they heard the song and went, oh, what's that? Because it certainly was different. It was like the first punk hit, really. Right. You know, um, And then when they heard Schools Out, by this time, we had started to become very notorious. you know? But Schools Out was that anthem that everybody bought into because who didn't want that last three minutes of the last day of school when you were going to be out for three months? That, I said, we capture that on tape. It's going to be a great anthem forever. And that's what we got with Schools Out. But that always came first. You always had to make the cake before you could put the icing on it. So music the music was always the foremost thing with us. Then when we got it written, we'd go, now, what do we want to do with it? We love the album. Bob Ezrin loves it. It's a hit album. We know it is. Now, how do we decorate it?
0: Do, do you ever feel – let me ask you this way then. Did you, do you ever feel that the theatrics and the whole Alice Cooper um, – Presentation and everything that went with it. Did you ever feel that that may have held back people looking at some of the music and albums objectively, and that there were songs that would have been hits if it wasn't for some sort of
1: preconceived ideas? We we spent a lot of our time battling that. We you know we were not going to give up the theatrics. That was part of it, and we knew we had good records. It was getting people to get past the theatrics and listen to what was supporting the theatrics. You know. and that was Bob Ezrin again. He was our George Martin. Right. He was the guy that made it all possible by by that big giant foundation of songs. And he would never let us put a song on that you couldn't sit down at the piano and play, uh, and, and sing. Right. It was every, It had to be melody. It had to be so. Every song was constructed and everything. But we had to battle the press all the time and get past. Okay, the theatrics. And I know, great. They hang me. Good. But the song supporting that hanging is really a good song. You know, listen to that. When we started getting people like Dylan and John Lennon and people like that going, you know, these songs are great. That's when we started getting the attention of the music. Uh, John's favorite song was Elected. I think Bob Dylan's was Only Women to Bleed. And songs like that. When we started getting that kind of support from those people, then all of a sudden everybody started going, okay, good then
0: we got the approval. Right. You know, Was there ever a point in your career where you thought you would stop being Alice Cooper and become something else, maybe even use the name you were born under and do something completely different and get completely away from this whole it thing?
1: It never occurred to me. Never. <laughs> never occurred to me to ever not be Alice Cooper. Right. I believe so much in this character that, I mean, for 50 years now, this character's the very first review of our first album was A Tragic Waste of Plastic. <laughs> Lester Bangs. You knew Lester, right? Not I mean, personally, no, but I certainly know he who was He was the is. greatest rock critic, and he wrote the greatest stuff, and he listened to Pretties for You, which Frank Zappa produced, and it said, A Tragic Waste of Plastic, and we burst out laughing saying, wow, is that a great line. And I remember that line for now. Of course, we're still here. Yeah, 50 years yeah, later. <laughs> yeah.
0: Did you get hung up on reviews back in the day? Did it bother yeah, you? Did, yeah. it, it did impact you? You didn't laugh them all off? Well, we
1: wanted to see it say that they liked us. You know, we got a lot of sort of these reviews that you didn't know if it was good or not. You know, it, it said a lot of stuff that was really cool. They did this, they did this. And then there was some little thing about, well, you know, without the theatrics, da 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 da, da. You know, it took a long time to get them to review the music first and then the theatrics, right, which I get now, which is nice, right. I, I start getting now reviews for this album musically, and then they go, uh, and by the way' it's, it takes you on a trip out here, right you know.
0: do we have time for one more uh, question from the audience? Should we we 're good with that good okay good where 's Tim roche Roche there you go hey tim you 're up next
1: Tim, somebody scribbled all of your arm there
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: when you weren 't looking, yes. <laughs>
0: Hey, how you doing, Alice? Thanks for being back on the road and all the decades of uh, good music. Thank you. Uh, What horror movie was your favorite and what actor or actors did you watch a lot when you were growing up?
1: I was one of those kids that grew up on um, TV. Uh, My babysitter was television, which was, of course, at that time, The Twilight Zone, Alfred Hitchcock Presents, uh, Outer Limits, all that stuff. And... On Saturdays, me and my buddies would go to the East Town Theater in Detroit and we'd watch The Creature from the Black Lagoon. You'd get three movies in black and white. It came from outer space and The Brain That Wouldn't Die. Every week there was three new movies in black and white. And we'd sit there all day and watch them. And maybe that's when I got the idea that, that horror had a funny side to it. Horror and comedy were in bed together. Because I found myself laughing. You know, every time i get scared, I'd start laughing. Mm-hmm. And I'd go... Why am I laughing? This is terrible! You just tore that guy's face off, and I am laughing. You know, <laughs> and so horror movies progressed. You know, into more production, more CGI, and all this. People are always surprised when I tell them my favorite horror movie is *Salem's Lot*. Mm. Barlow, right there on your arm. The first time I saw *Salem's Lot* was uh, Christmas morning. My daughter was about this big. And we're sitting there watching. And if you know the movie, the movie goes on for two and a half hours where you, they only talk about Mr. Barlow. Yeah. Well, Mr. Barlow would love to see you. There's a scene where a guy's laying in jail. And you just see this hand go like this. And the jail opens up, door opens up. And the guy goes. And Barlow goes like this full screen. And it's that character on his arm. And I went. And it literally took my breath. And my daughter ran into the wall. <laughs> she ran right into the wall. Ah! You know, and there were about eight or s- seven or eight scenes in that movie that with David Soul and uh, James Mason that were some of the best horror scenes I'd ever seen. The kids floating in the air and scratching on the windows. Let me in. And the guy in the wheel in the uh, le- in the uh, rocking chair. Teacher. You know, spoiler I'm you, alerts
0: for anybody who's never seen it from you've Alice never seen Cooper. This movie, it's a made-for-TV
1: movie. It's a, it was a made-for-TV movie, and it's a three-hour movie. And I'm telling you, it's one of the best horror movies of all time. Now, of course, The Exorcist will always go down as being maybe the scariest movie of all time, because what you're dealing with there is not the boogeyman. You're dealing with a little girl that gets possessed, which has been documented. Mm -hmm. So we all have this thing in our head, that could happen. And it speaks not to your intellect, it speaks to your soul, which makes it even scarier. Same thing with alien. Alien is one of those things where you go, that could happen. That actually could. We don't know what's up there. So we go, and it was so well done by Ridley Scott that it was, wow, that's possible. That makes us even more scared. When we see Jason Voorhees, we go, well, okay, he's the boogeyman. Michael Myers, the boogeyman. We get all that, you know. But we can write them off. We can't write off The Exorcist, and you can't write off Alien.
0: Yeah, that's it. The slasher gore and stuff, that doesn't do it for me, but the stuff that – that comes like for me Seven and Silence of the Lambs two of my favorites What's in, in the recent. Bag. yeah I mean it's just because exactly the that box. reason yeah. it's like oh my gosh uh, we're going to take a break we're going to come back and I want to talk to you a little bit about this uh, great new album that Alice has out that's doing amazing business around the world the album is out now called Paranormal we'll get into a little bit of that and, uh, and finish up with Alice Cooper coming right back the Eddie Trunk Podcast True Car, you know about it, you love it, you know the deal. In order to feel comfortable that you're getting a fair price, you need, of course, pricing context, information that empowers you to feel confident, right? Well, with True Car, you'll see what other people in your local market paid for the car you want, and from there you can connect with a local True Car certified dealer and enjoy a more confident car buying experience because using True Car, you can easily find the car that you want True Car will show you what other people in your area paid for the car you want. Now you know what a fair price is so you can feel confident. Once you register, you'll see real pricing on actual inventory, competitive pricing offered to you only by a True Car certified dealer for an actual vehicle on their lot. It's pricing you'll see before going to a dealership so you can feel confident when you show up. And with True Car, you can connect with a local certified dealer of your choosing so you can enjoy a quick, easy buying experience. True Car customers, they are more likely to enjoy a faster buying process when they connect with TrueCar certified dealers. You ready for this? True Car users save an average of over $3,000 off MSRP. So when you are ready to buy, visit True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Some features, they are not available in all states. Target USA. Russia could render huge harm to this country. North Korea's secret missile. Capable of reaching the whole of the United States. Dangerous terrorist. DC is someplace they would like to seek an attack. Interviews with top intelligence and national security officials. We've got you covered on Target USA, the national security podcast. Download it every Thursday. And don't forget to subscribe at PodcastOne.com, the new Podcast One app, and at Apple Podcast. Hey, if you guys have been watching A&E's Emmy-nominated groundbreaking docu-series, Leah Remini, Scientology and the Aftermath, it has returned for season number two. If you don't know Leah's story, she was a member of the Church of Scientology for about 25 years, and she left it a number of years ago. And now Leah Remini, along with high-level former Scientology executives and church members well, they delve deep into shocking stories of abuse, heartbreak, and harassment experienced by those who have left the church and spoken publicly about their experiences. Leah Remini, Scientology in the aftermath. There's new episodes every Tuesday at nine eight central on A and E in season two. This season, Leah continues her quest to give a voice to the victims of the Church of Scientology. The series also explores accounts of former members whose lives have been significantly impacted. By the church's practices, Leah is helping people take action, turning survivors into fighters, revealing truths, and seeking justice. Catch up on the old episodes on the AE app and AETV.com. And uh, be sure to check it out. Leah Remini, Scientology and the Aftermath. New episodes, Tuesdays, 9, 8 central on A&E. This is the Eddie
1: Trunk Podcast.
0: It's Eddie Trunk, and this is the Eddie Trunk podcast. More now with Alice Cooper. Where are you, Steve? Go ahead, man. You're up next. Let's get a mic on you. you. There you go. I just wanted to say first thanks for being
1: Alice, giving us Alice Cooper in all these years. And uh, you touched on it, but I wanted to ask about the connection with Elton John. But you said Bernie Toppin was your friend. Yeah. And you was he from Detroit? No, no. Bernie and Elton both came over from England. Elton was basically a. played piano in pubs, and he was you know, just starting to write songs when I first met him. And he had, he had, I think, one record out. And they came to the Hollywood Bowl show. And at the Hollywood Bowl show, we had everything from camels to elephants to everything. We did everything we could. Hell's a poppin'. It was Olson and Johnson, Hell's a poppin'. They're in the front row. And at the very last thing, the School's Out album had panties on it. So that when you opened the album, there was panties. Because when you opened a desk when you were you know, 13, if you could produce a pair of panties to your friends. There, there right there. See? There's the panties. If you could open your desk like this, and you could go like this and go, that meant you were the man success you had some girls probably your sisters but you know you were pretending like on the weekend you had the panties. so we said well we got to do the album you know let's go right back to being 13 years old again and put the panties on the album well we had a helicopter come over the hollywood bowl and drop panties on the audience Now here's elton john and bernie grabbing these panties you know and everything and at that point, I think Elton saw this spectacle on stage and realized that he was going to create Elton John bigger than life, Elton John. And I, 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 I think he said that at one point. But it kind of inspired him to turn Elton John now into this sort of gigantic Liberace version of, of Elton John, which he would have done anyways. You know, it's just that it this gave him that little boost of saying, "Oh, I'm going to do that." Yeah. You know, yeah. and make 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 myself my character bigger than life and then he did and he just took off and made spectacular shows and made elton john not a piano player now but a spectacle and he backed it up with those great records so i i have nothing but respect for him
0: Sir, I'm going to give you your record back, but i got to be honest, these look a little stretched out. Did you try them on? Did you try them on? You can tell us. In the last 45 years, did you try them on once? All right. You tried them on, didn't you?
1: Yes, you did. Yes, you did.
0: Alice, did you ever try them on?
1: I tried them on, of course. Now, we found that the double hit on that was we found out, somebody found out, I think Shep probably said, the the double hit on this is we're going to get them banned. How do we get them banned? They're fire. They're not fireproof. Oh. So they stopped the panties because they said these panties are not fireproof and I went, "So who's going to be lighting a cigarette down here? Where are they going to be near fire, you know?" <laughs> I said, "But it's a great thing so we got the great big press thing, Alice Cooper's panties, you know, not fireproof." <laughs>
0: All right, let's segue from a (laughs) a classic album to a future classic here, because this is the brand new album from Alice Cooper called Paranormal. We were talking about this, the packaging. This, of course, is the vinyl. The packaging on this is absolutely incredible. I have the CD, which is my preference, but you you really touch on a lot of things because not only do you have a brand new record here produced by your longtime uh, producer, Bob Ezrin, but you also reunited with the original guys for a couple songs, and then there's representation for the current live band, which is so killer, because you have some live tracks with them on there. So talk a little bit about this new record, and I guess what it was like to, uh, specifically one of the big things talking about it is having the old guys back with you.
1: Well, we started the album, Bob Ezra and I started the album out, and the the first thing we said was, let's not do a concept. Let's just do 13 great rock songs. And we worked with uh, Tommy Denanger from... um, sweden tommy hendrickson my other guitar player bob and i and we started writing great hooks and started writing great songs and you know all of a sudden we had and we worked we did most of this at johnny depp's house because johnny was doing a movie and so we used his studio in la we did most of the writing there and in the end i listened to it and i went i accidentally wrote a concept album (laughs) because all the characters were paranormal Every single one of these characters had some abnormal thing going on in their life that all added up to paranormal. Now, paranormal doesn't necessarily mean ghosts and Bigfoot and UFOs. It means other than normal. It means alongside of normal. My whole career's been that. (laughs) (laughs) So paranormal was the perfect phrase. Now, Bob says, now, in order, we want to do a hard rock album, we want to do great songs, how do we mix it up? He says, what do you think about Larry Mullins, Jr.? On drums from U2. And I went, that is such a great idea. You know, is it possible? And he says, they're big Alice Cooper fans. He said, when they were in pubs in Dublin, they played your songs. You know, that's.
0: Did you know any of the U2 guys? Yeah, I met them before. And they'd done
1: schools out at the end of their show before. Oh, wow. You know, so Larry Mullins, I said, first of all, he doesn't play like anybody else. He doesn't go snare hi hat, he goes hi hat tom tom. And he changes everything up. I've never had a drummer ever come to me and say, "Let me see the lyrics." Hmm. He wanted. He says, "I look at the lyrics and I interpret them on the drums." How cool is that? You know. So I mean, that's what he did through the whole album, and um, and then the only other drummer on the album is Neil Smith. Right. Uh, Neil Neil came in with the uh, first of all when the band broke up. We didn't break up with any bad blood. The original band, we just got exhausted after doing six albums in a row and never stopping and never stopped touring, I think we just ran out of energy. And we didn't divorce as much as we separated. So we always stayed in touch with each other. You know, I played on some of Dennis's stuff. Dennis played on mine. You know, first time that I got Mike, Neil, and Dennis in the studio playing live together with me singing, I said, let's see if this sounds like 1974. Okay? And we, we wrote a song called... Uh, Genuine American Girl, which was originally, I want to find a genuine American girl. I said, yeah, in 1974, we wouldn't have said that. We would have said, I want to be a genuine American girl, because that will piss off every parent in America. (laughs) And so we changed it to that. And it sounded great, because it was a tough guy singing, I want to be a genuine American girl. I'm only 30 out of 50 shades of gray. (laughs) <laughs> you know, which is the best line on the whole album and, and it sounds funny but at the same time it's very topical about right now it, this, uh, you know, and Alice Cooper Genuine American Girl it just had a nice thing to it and the band killed it in the yeah. studio Neil played like he always Neil would find out how many drums Keith Moon had and get one more <laughs> just to piss him off he'd call him up say hey Keith how many drums do you have? 36? yeah I have 37 <laughs> And that was the ongoing thing with them. Dennis played bass like no other person on the planet. He's one of the most copied bass players, one of the most unique musicians, and Mike just writes killer riffs all the time. Mm -hmm. So I got them all in there, let's play live, and they nailed it. Two songs that we did together. In London this time, uh, not just London, but all of England, after they cut my head off and the curtain comes down, normally the curtain comes up, we go out and do an encore. When the curtain comes up, it's going to be the original band.
0: That's coming up?
1: Yeah. Wow. So the original band will do No More Mr. Nice Guy, Billion Dollar Babies, all the hits, and School's Out. And on School's Out, both bands will come out. Wow. So it's really going to be fun. That's going
0: to be awesome. Do you plan to shoot any of that, maybe? Oh, yeah, definitely. Get a a DVD out or something We
1: did it it in Nashville just to see how it would work, and it was great. Right. It was great.
0: Uh, Let me ask you, uh, before we run out of time, about the Hollywood Vampires. Yeah. Because I know that's a project that was a lot of fun for you, and you did some touring with it. And- we did a great; it was
1: amazing business we did with that. You know, and at the same time, when you get that many alpha males in one band, you're thinking, "Oh, this is going to be a nightmare." You know, it was never one minute of anybody trying to take over or anybody's ego. You know, jumping over anybody else's. Not, never a minute of that. Johnny was just happy to be up there playing guitar because he loves that more than acting, and he's. Pretty good guitar player. (laughs) I mean, he doesn't play with me. He's played with McCartney. He's played with everybody. Yeah, I've
0: asked a lot of people about that privately. I've said even privately. I go, listen, the Johnny Depp thing, I said, is it really just because he's Johnny Depp and it's cool to have this huge actor in the band, or can he really play? I asked some real accomplished guitar players who knew him, and they go, no, he can really play. He's a
1: player. Yeah. Um, In fact, I I came in one day, and he was teaching Joe Perry some stuff. (laughs) And I went, are you kidding me? You know, because Johnny can play all this Django Reinhardt gypsy jazz stuff right. that nobody can play. You know, and so Johnny's a real deal on guitar. He's he's not just, in fact, he doesn't want to be in the front. He wants to be the the back guy, the guitar player. I have to push him to get him out in front. Right. You know, so there's no ego on his part. Joe is so much fun to play with. And, and then you get, you know, Duff McKagan from, on bass. He's a rock up there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Matt Sorum on drums. And sometimes um, Zach Starkey plays Mm -hmm. with us. So it's the most fun band to play with because we're playing songs for all of our dead drunk friends. You know, Jim Morrison and Jimi Hendrix and all the guys we used to drink with that are dead. We just said, well, let's play their songs. And... We're the most, world's most expensive bar band, is what it is. <laughs> now, go,
0: going forward with that, how will, will do you want to make another record? And if you do, will it be the same concept? Because I know there was an original song or two on the three first songs, record. Three, three original
1: songs, and the next album will be all original.
0: Okay, so you're going to go in that direction. Johnny's
1: writing right now, Joe's writing, and I'm writing. And okay. uh, so there's a lot of songs. We just have to go in the studio now and... Filter through it and see which ones really rock on stage, right? And then we'll make the album, and we're out, We're on tour in March.
0: Oh, you've got March. stuff lined up oh, yeah. already. It's already,
1: yeah. already. Uh, you know, I mean, the fact that we had dinner at Dracula's Castle with Tim Burton—that <laughs> should have been the night we did the album. <laughs> you know, in fact, we should record there. We were in Transylvania, and the whole all the vampires went up there. You know, and Tim Burton came, went with us. And had dinner in the
0: castle. Wow. And, of course, the Hollywood vampires here in New York actually w- w- gave us all a big scare about Joe Perry when he went down on stage when you guys were playing. What the, were you the, thinking there?
1: Well, you know, the very first line in the, in the song is, uh, heart attack, <laughs> painted black, heart attack, they never feared the reaper. And I look over and Joe's gone. when I went... <laughs> And I look back, and he's on the ground. And I went, oh, my gosh. And I look at Johnny, you know, and he goes, you know, and I said, take the lead. So he played the leads all night. Johnny took all of Joe's leads. And we, I just figured exhaustion or whatever it was. We didn't realize that I think Aerosmith does two shows a week. Yeah. We were on our eighth show in 10 days, mm-hmm. all outdoor shows in the summertime. I was in shape because I do that all the time. Johnny was fine. Everybody else was fine. Joe was not ready for that. Yeah. Joe was not in shape for that, yeah. and it just yeah. I think his lungs collapsed or something, and he was out. You know, but it scared the hell out of all of us. I mean, we were really we, we thought I thought it was a heart attack or yeah. something, but it wasn't.
0: And uh, uh, just before we have to go, we got about a minute and a half here. Currently, you're on tour with Deep Purple, as we mentioned, and yeah. Edgar Winter. Yeah. how's the how's the tour been going? And I imagine it's it's you got Roger Glover on the new album. Yeah, Roger a, played on on uh, the only
1: song that was kind of proggy was uh, at the actual song Paranormal. I said, that's perfect for him. Yeah. And Billy Gibbons oh, plays yeah, on uh, Fallen in Love and I Can't Get Up. And he was perfect for that song. You know, But this show was really interesting. When we got, they said, do you want to do a, a twin, uh, 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 you know, a two-headliner show with you and Deep Purple and Edgar Winter play- opening? And I said, absolutely, it'd be great. Yeah. Deep Purple's old friends of ours, and Edgar's been there forever. And... I said, do you want to go on last? Do you want to go? I said, do whatever they want to do, you know, because, I mean, it doesn't matter to us. We're going to do our show anyways. So they said, we'll go on last. I said, great, fine. So you've got three entirely different kinds of shows. You've got Edgar Winter, which is kind of fusion jazz rock. And then you've got the Alice Cooper extravaganza. And then Deep Purple comes on, and they're like gourmet rock. right? You know, so, I mean, it's a really, really solid. Every song, every song you hear on the show is something you heard on the radio. Yeah. You know, yeah. so it's a really good show.
0: Well, huge thanks Dallas Cooper. Man, doing those town halls is so much fun because you get an opportunity to include the audience questions and uh, have the energy of that live audience in front of you. And, of course, they're made so much easy, or easier, I should say, when you got a great guest like Alice Cooper sitting there who's so much fun to talk to. So thank you, Dallas. Check out his album, Paranormal. Check out my radio show where that interview originated from. The show can be heard live every day, Monday through Friday from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time on Sirius XM channel 106 and replaying every night 9 to 11 p.m. Eastern on demand on the Sirius XM app as well. Like I said, here on uh, the podcast, you only get a tiny sample of what I do daily on Sirius XM live, which means you can get involved in it as well. So hope you come and join me if you're not already over on SiriusXM for Trunk Nation on Volume, the Terrestrial Show. Don't miss that, of course, which is daily, or I'm sorry, every weekend on a great affiliated radio stations, and all the social media at Eddie Trunk, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, EddieTrunk.com is the website. Music news updated daily. One-stop shopping for all your music news needs. Check that out as well. And last but certainly not least, don't forget, if you're shopping on Amazon, please check out my storefront, amazon.com shop slash Eddie Trunk. Handpicked items you may be interested in that you hear about here on the podcast. And if you're not, that's okay. Go shop anywhere you want on the site. Just always start at amazon.com shop slash Eddie Trunk. See you guys next week. Thanks to Katie Irizarry for producing it, and I'll be back next Thursday with Deep Purple, Sirius XM Town Hall with Deep Purple next week. Ian Gillen, Roger Glover, Ian Pace. You're going to love this one as well. That's next week on the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Have a good week, everybody. This is coach Jim Harbaugh with my esteemed colleague and co-host JT Rogan. And we're excited to announce our new podcast, Attack Each Day, the Harbaughs Podcast that's coming to Podcast One. Each week
1: we'll be talking to different members of the Harbaugh family along with athletes, celebrities, and unique
0: guests. On different episodes we'll have my dad Jack, my brother John, my sister Joni, my wife Sarah, and even my kids from time to time. We'll have great guests each week and we'll attack each podcast with an enthusiasm unknown to mankind.
1: Sounds pretty good to me so join us each tuesday on attack each day the harbaugh's podcast here on podcast one also make sure to subscribe on podcast one.com on the new podcast one app or at apple podcasts and coach who's got it better than us i know the answer to that jt Nobody.